Welcome back, everyone. This is The Changelog, and I'm your host, Adam Stachowiak. This is episode 173, and on today's show, we're joined by Pam Selly, Javon Dari, Justin Campbell, and Len Smith, the folks behind Turing Incomplete. It's a new podcast, which can be found on the web at turing.cool. Great show today, where we connect with fellow podcasters out there discussing open-source software development, podcasting, building community, and more. We had four awesome sponsors, Codeship, Imagix, Harvest, and also Sentry. Our first sponsor is Codeship. Codeship launched a brand new feature called Organizations a few months back. Everyone's been loving it. Now you can create teams, you can set permissions for your specific team members, and you can improve collaboration in your continuous delivery workflows. You can maintain your centralized control over your entire organization's projects and teams with this new feature. It's super awesome. And you can save 20% off any premium plan you choose for three months by using our code, the Changelaw Podcast. Again, that code is the Changelaw Podcast. 20% off any plan you choose for three months. Head to codeship.com slash the Changelaw to get started. And one more thing I want to tell you about. Sean Devine is doing an API workshop called API First Training. And guess what? He's going to use Codeship as a demo tool. The URL to learn more about that API training is in our show notes, so check those out. But now, on to the show. All right, everyone, we have a bit of a show lined up today. Today's show is cool. It's a crossover show where we connect with fellow podcasters out there to discuss open source, software development, podcasting, building community, and more. And today, Jared and I are joined by the folks behind Turing Incomplete, which can be found on the web at Turing.cool. So please welcome Pam Selly, Javon Dury, Justin Campbell, and Len Smith, and obviously, Jared Santo. So everyone say hello. Thanks for having me. Of course. Hey. Hello. Hey. So I guess the, the easiest way to open this one up is, is this your first time being on somebody else's podcast? Uh, it is for me. This is Justin. For me, no. Pam. It is for me, Trevon. And me, Len, as well, too. Okay. So, so Pam, I've, what show are you on? Uh, Shop Talk. Oh, awesome. Love those guys, by the way. Yeah, they're really fun yeah. to record. That show's live, right? Mm-hmm. So was that super stressful for you or just amazing? No, it's pretty fun. And the the only thing is the because it can be a little distracting uh, watching the chat flow by. Mm. Uh, so you kind of have to, I would have to just kind of minimize it um, because people are, are chatting while you're talking, which is normal, but hard when you're trying to be the one talking. We flirted with live, haven't we, Adam? We have definitely flirted with live. We've held hands. Uh, we've uh, we've gone out on several dates. It just hasn't stuck, honestly. It, it's a good idea in theory, but I think this kind of show, typically, maybe not this particular episode, but this show in general, just seemed to work out better when it was sort of like a a one to one or a one to a few uh, mm-hmm. conversations. So that's that way. It's like sort of tighter, more intimate, less like pressure to to perform. I guess. You know, for a crowd when it's live, it just... And then also, if you listen to Dan Benjamin or anybody else who does live shows, the numbers on live shows continue to dwindle while the subscribers and podcast listeners on the actual shows continue to, to go up. And so, right. you know, depending upon the show type, live can work for you if it's like, if it's part of the DNA of the show. And where it's 
this show was never originally live, so it kind of never stuck for us, I think. Mm-hmm. When we started talking about live, I assumed you meant like sitting at a table in front of a crowd, and that I, I would be really nervous doing that. Uh, that too, that's tough. <laughs> that's That'd be tough. even worse. Before we get too far into things, let's, let's, uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time getting to know everyone. So, a bit of an intro, a, bit of, uh, a little bit of history. So, we'll start from the top, which is Pam. So, Pam, can you kind of introduce yourself to the audience of The Changelog and kind of give a bit about uh, who you are? And if you want to mention your birthday last week, you're, you're welcome to. Oh, well, you know, since you mentioned the national holiday, my birthday was last week. <laughs> uh, so, uh, just in case anyone missed it, you can mark it for next year. Um, so, I'm a developer in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I am known on the internet for a few things, notably uh, for JavaScript. I speak at JavaScript conferences pretty often. Uh, My latest talk is about the stream's data structure and how awesome it is. Uh, And that's where where we met when I gave that talk at at at, uh, Nebraska JSConf. And I also, in real life, I also run a JavaScript meetup in Philadelphia. We have over a thousand members. And we also run a JavaScript conference here, uh, two years running. And I also wrote a book, and I record with these folks on Turing and Complete. So I do a lot of stuff. Also, I'm working on another book. Wow. What was your technical. book about? It's Finding Your Next Job as a Developer. Mm. How do you a do how it? how-to guide. It, can you give us a secret? You gotta, we'll, we'll let people read the book to find out. Sure. I mean, the the secret is that you can apply for jobs the the really frustrating, like to me, the really frustrating and inefficient way of gathering a resume and putting a cover letter together and then emailing people who don't care about you who will never call you back. Or you can approach it in a systematic way that will, with a plan, with, you know, like, because there is a way to do it. And that's really what the book is. It's a, you know, you can disagree with the way to do it. It does involve a lot of networking and, you know, mm-hmm. that's like literally. So, you know how everyone always says like most jobs are found through networking according to BLS data, which the way that number is derived is. Eh. But anyway, about 70 to 80 percent of jobs are found through networking. And but then no one tells you how to do it. <laughs> so what this book is, is specifically for developers. Here is how it works. And if you follow these steps, this is how it works. And it should work for you. Huh. Very interesting. Yeah. Quick Google search didn't lead me to it with that uh, finding your next job as a developer. So we'll have to get the link from you later. Uh, no, it's, I don't have a, I actually don't have a book page for it. I'm still very much writing it. But if you go to the Web of War, which is my blog, I, I have a mailing list there. And I'm sending out updates to that mailing list. Oh. Uh, so that's where the first beta will be announced. Um, and there's a few posts book. leading up to that. So I, I did find a link uh, to burn your resume when doing that Google search, which was okay. to the that's same it. site you just mentioned. <laughs> so I, I assume that's yeah. where we can send people. Mm-hmm. Yep. F- fantastic. All right. Uh, Jervon, let's go with you. Oh, man, it's hard to follow up after Pam. Uh, I'm a developer in Philadelphia. And... Uh, I organize Philly RB, which is the Philadelphia Ruby user group, um, and I'm on Turing Incomplete, and that's about it. That's about it, huh? On the internet, you can find me at Jervon. No, uh, 
No books. No. Uh, no books. No books. Ahem, that's not involved yeah, in her that... in her book writing. No, it's probably not fair for you to go first. Jervon also speaks about closure script. Yeah, I was okay. going to mention the closure thing too. Well, we just had an episode on closure last week. We had Karen Meyer. Uh, Jervon, awesome. you may know her as Giga Squid, talking oh. closure. Mm-hmm. She spoke very highly of closure script. So. Yes, she sure did. She she probably awesome. turned some heads too with thinking like I should do that. Yeah. And she wrote a book, by the way, John. If you didn't know. Living Closure, right? Living yeah. Closure. That's right. That's right. Pam's book is still in beta, so you know if you sweet talk her, maybe you can get a byline on that thing. Just, there you go. Just a thought. Just a thought. Forward something, you know. Prologue. All right, Justin, what do you think? I've heard that if you have um sometimes if you have like a Wikipedia page and you're not important enough to have a Wikipedia page, you'll take it down. But one of the things they need is like a, a source, which is a newspaper or book. So I guess if you write a book, you're important enough to have a Wikipedia page. That sounds like a route to take. I know something you're about to take. Is, <laughs> is, that, your, is that your intro? Well, no, I'm, no, I'm curious if Pat has a Wikipedia page or not. Okay. Pat, no, I, don't. I, am, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't make my own Wikipedia page. How about a book? She about will have one in about five minutes. Page. <laughs> That'd be a good book. How to get your own Wikipedia page. And the first step is write a book. And then step two is, I guess I'm on Wikipedia now. Dot, dot, dot. Step three, profit. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Anyway, So easy. So my name is Justin Campbell. I'm a software developer also, uh, as all four of us are. I work for a company called HashiCorp, which makes a lot of open source tools. And I work on a product called Atlas, which is uh, trying to be GitHub for ops. Is an easy way to put it? Hmm. Uh, and I organize a software craftsmanship meetup in Philadelphia called Software as Craft. And occasionally I give conference talks, but I've been uh, busy not doing uh, side project things the past few months. Sensing a tr- I'm sensing a trend of Philadelphia, too, here. Yes. Uh, well, we're all from Philadelphia originally, or from the past few years, except Len moved to Seattle uh, a couple months ago. Yes, I'm a, I'm, I would say I'm a Philadelphian living in Seattle currently. My heart's in Philly. Soon to be. I was wondering why you're, uh, why you're not in Philly anymore. Oh, uh, my partner moved out here for work. Uh, so I followed since I'm in software and can work wherever. Very cool. Awesome. So Turing Incomplete is a Philadelphia joint by way of Seattle. <laughs> yes. Yes. Why don't you guys uh, tell us a little bit about the show? Let's start with kind of the genesis, and then we'll move on to the name, which I think is quite cool, and then the URL, which is literally dot cool. I don't think we did a Len introduction either. Oh, we didn't. Kind of. Just said that I was currently in Seattle. Yeah, my name is Len Smith. Uh, I'm a Rails developer, which means I write JavaScript all day. (laughs) And yeah, currently in Seattle. There you go. There you go. Sorry about that, Len. Yeah, I guess the start of Turing Complete... uh, Jervon and I had talked about doing a podcast for about a year, and we were wondering who else we would want to be on the podcast, and uh, Pam instantly came to mind as a friend of ours and somebody who was well-known in the Philadelphia community. And we both worked with uh, Len, and I didn't actually know that Len was interested in podcasting until we were mentioning it one day, and he said, oh, I tried to make a podcast before, and he already had like a logo and other things. Uh, well, no, I, I didn't try. I was always planning on it. I was just very bad at procrastinating. Oh, okay. Commissioned artwork and always planned to do it. So the four of us got and together. And Justin approached me. Yes. Good. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I 
the four of us got together and picked a date and just decided to record. And the first one was... Pam was... Pam was in India. India. Uh, Yeah, I forgot about that. That was okay, though. How it got started, huh? Well, yeah, that was okay, though. (laughs) The first one was absolutely awful. Uh, We didn't (laughs) But it was good. It was a good practice run. And yeah, when Justin approached me, like I said, I've been procrastinating for literally years. And I'm like, sure, I'd be interested. And he's like, okay, we're going to record tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) So that was good. And I heard one TDD is dead question mark. Uh, yeah, that was right on the time that uh, DHH gave his TDD is dead keynote. Uh-huh. In which you guys mourn the death of TDD. And then episode two, TDD is alive again. Absolutely. There's actually an episode zero that we recorded with uh, another coworker in front of ours, Dan McClory. Uh, that was episode zero and that was never published. <laughs> oh, not nice. Well, that's what zero is for is you don't put it out there. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's the test run. Although in reality, the first five are probably bad. <laughs> well, you know that's the that's the fun thing with podcasting. You kind of have to grow into it a little bit, you know. And it it takes. I mean, geez, Jared, if we tell our history, our first few are not bad, but I think audio quality wise, just in general, from a podcast, what what people know of a podcast today, they think a little bit more higher quality, a bit more put together. Whereas in 2009, it was just like, if you got audio on the internet that's audible, it's a podcast. Yeah, what was that service that did the phone thing, uh, TalkShoe? Remember a lot of podcasts in like 2009, 2010 were recorded over like telephone? Yeah. Huh. I don't know that. One of our, actually our first podcast had uh, uh, Natalie Weisenbaum in it. And uh, at the time, uh, the call had to be done via a phone, not from us. But for for she, so that's how it worked out. Seems like podcasting is kind of like TV shows where certain ones have to kind of get their legs. If you judge it by the pilot, so to speak, you're not gonna you're not gonna find too many shows that you like. No, but you wait till like six episodes in, or you wait even till season two sometimes in a traditional TV format, and that's when things usually start to get interesting. Did you find it took just a handful for you guys to really uh, gel? I think it took a handful for us to nail down the format. We went. I, I think we still do go back and forth on: do we need a topic, or sh- should we do a topic? Uh, should we go topic less? Or yeah, what is what is the format then? So right now, uh, we mostly just talk for an hour or so on a call, the four of us, and we record, and then we cut it together into a show. Um, the first, I would say. 20, 25 episodes, we tried to do a topic every episode if we weren't doing a guest. And for me personally, that ended up being really stressful, trying to like pick a topic before we recorded. We'd have a lot of uh, tension and anxiety about if we didn't have a topic yet, like should we record? And I I found like a lot of podcasts I listened to, I really enjoyed the conversational style and just, just kind of a friends hanging out uh, style of recording. And it's really hard also to pick a topic every week and have it be a different topic when, you know, the four of us have a, you know, at least apart from software development, have a diverse set of skills in software development and out. But right. we're not an expert in that many things. Uh, when you have a guest, it's really easy to, you know, that guest is usually very qualified to talk on that subject and you can have a different subject every week. But for the four of us, 
I found it kind of hard to pick a topic and start talking about things we didn't know that much about. Um, but I know other people on the podcast really like to have a topic. <laughs> so when we, when we talked before, though, Pam, you said that y'all don't have a topic and you just sort of wing it. Is that still the case? Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's the case now. Yeah, that's what we evolved I, I liked, into. I liked the topics, but so also our pattern for topics was kind of picking a noun and... <laughs> then that would be the topic. And eventually we kind of, the well was starting to get thin on nouns that we felt like talking about. Or that we felt qualified to talk about. Yeah. I mean, there were, but now that's, now we just talk about things that we're unqualified to talk about. So it all works out. Mostly Elixir. Mostly, you know, yeah, Elixir. Elixir and JavaScript frameworks. Well, I guess that's a sort of a part we kind of missed a little bit. Not so much a full on deep, deep history of each of you, but I guess to get an idea of any show, like for example, uh, here at the Changelog, our roots are in Ruby. Uh, Jared and I are both in the Ruby community. We've we've uh, been doing that for a very long time. Um, what would each of you say to kind of the kind of program you are, or maybe even what your specialties are, or what you love doing most? Does that play into the role you play in the podcast? And I guess if you want to take turns here, we can start with Pam. Uh, could you restate the question? Well, just like, just like, uh, you know, what kind of software developer are you? What, and is that the same role each of you kind of play in, you know, uh, in the I podcast? Think I, I'm a Gryffindor, but sometimes I, people think I'm a Ravenclaw Okay, and that's okay. Uh, cause you know, I'm really clever. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I don't really, I don't. So because I've done a lot of JavaScript development, I feel like when, when I get asked this question, I I might be misinterpreting it, but I often read it as a subtext of someone saying, okay, well, so you're a front-end developer, and like that's all you're ever being, that's all you ever want to know. And that's, you, you know. Yeah. Well, and, we're not trying to put you, you know. in a box here. No, 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 not at all. Generally speaking. Like, what, yeah, what kind I mean, of stuff do you work on? so like I just, I switched to a team where I'm doing something totally different. I'm not really doing website development anymore or working on things that end in a website and working on the layer that supports other development platforms. And so middleware. No, uh, <laughs> I don't think it would be called middleware actually. It might be. I'll services. Let's just put it at that. Service. Services. <laughs> yeah. Cause other people write middleware that then uses this. So it's the where it's in almost between like, the but I do yeah. think the, that like when we do have a JavaScript question, we go to either Len or Pam because yeah. they're more That's knowledgeable true. about JavaScript than. I mean, Pam wrote a book on JavaScript. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm um, getting hired now, too, obviously, as a developer. So I guess what we're trying to do, we can go quickly through this, but just trying to get a heartbeat of like a little bit about your background and, and how does that play into the overall aspect of like how you right. each and every week, you know, define what Turing and Complete is and what an episode is, whether it's a guested show or it's a winged show right and also not just your programming background but like what your individual interests are right. and how that comes together to have it's cool you have some shows where it's you know it's interview style it's topical you have other shows where it's like hey it's four people who love programming and we talk about it which sounds like that's the kind of show that Turing Incomplete is absolutely and, and just to give you know our listeners a bit of an idea not like how the show goes but just the people that they would be hanging out with like, what are your guys' interests and what are the kind of things that are talked about? We know that JavaScript is one of them, but I'm sure there's plenty of things that you guys uh, dive into. We're interested in functional programming. 
I think that's a bend that we're all interested in talking more about. Yeah, I listened to a show, uh, I think it was number 59, Evil Leader, um, <laughs> where there was a lot of Elixir talk going on. You guys have mentioned Elixir, I think, by name. I think Jervon or Justin did. Mm-hmm. Um, who's the Elixir fans? Uh, and you know, give us some information on why you're into that. I mean, yeah, for me, I mean, it's it's weird because we t- tend to talk what we're about what we're excited about, which mm-hmm. isn't necessarily we do all day. Sure, <laughs> you know what we do for our day jobs. I think starts to get a little boring after a while, and then we play around with something for a couple hours at night, and that's what we're most excited about. Yeah, I think, I think that's for a bunch of us, that's been a like summary of it. Yeah, that like yeah, we do we do our day jobs, but we end up talking about so we each have our own bins, which might be what what you meant in your original question. So I'm into JavaScript stuff and math stuff and new research that comes out. I'm trying, I'm not good at security, but I'm trying to learn more about it. Uh, So that's something that always fascinates me. So uh, any practical steps or even just tips you can give our listeners, anybody who else is interested in learning security, have you made any progress or found any good resources? Um. You know, I try and I kind of, I follow a few more people on Twitter that I do and I, I read their blog posts. I also joined the, so Simply Secure is a nonprofit that focuses, I would say they focus on usable security because uh-huh. the biggest hole in security is humans. And so by fixing user, well, by improving, just mirror, like if you've ever downloaded GPG tools, you will deeply understand why such a nonprofit needs to exist uh, to improve user experience. So if, if GPG Tools is supposed to be a tool, so GPG Tools is a downloadable suite of things that enables you to use um, G, um, PGP encryption technology, pretty good privacy, um, which is generally a good idea uh, because everything on the internet is all your emails are basically postcards flying over the internet. So if you want them to not be postcards, maybe you should learn a little bit about encryption or at least mm. learn how to use it. And so Simply Secure is a Slack that a lot of um, people I think are really interesting are on. So like, like Bcrypt is someone on Twitter who I think their stuff is really cool and they just joined this Slack. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, they're going to, you know, I can see what they're talking about. And there's different rooms on research and design and crypto. So you can kind of keep track of what what people who I would think are experts think of this kind of stuff. Very cool. Javon, how about yourself? Uh, interest either inside of work or outside of work, things that you dabble with in the development world. Um, what are you into? Um, <clears throat> these days I'm really into Emacs and uh, Clojure slash ClojureScript. Okay. Uh, script seems easier for me to use at work or at my old job, but maybe Clojure will be easier now. Um, yeah, I'm just having a lot of fun these days improving my tool chain, which is where Emacs comes in. Awesome. Um, so we, we've been considering this show. I'll kind of give you a, there's a little behind the scenes here at the changelog. Uh-huh. We've had a show we've been considering, uh, which is kind of Editor Wars. And it's uh-huh. it's kind of... You know, it's a play on the fact that everybody gets so excited and, and passionate about their editor. But the idea is to get, you know, kind of three or four, um, not experts, but people who are kind of outspoken in specific camps of Vim and Emacs and so on. Adam, 
Um, and I have a short list of people that I like to have on, except for in the Emacs area, I'm not really sure like who is a prominent Emacs user that people look to as a source of information or aid. Could you help me out with that? Is there somebody in the Emacs world that uh, we should have on the show? Hmm, me? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, See that one up uh, for you. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I okay. have to look into that. Uh, I think who, who's, tech, who's, the, tech who's the person Mancy? who wrote Closure, Brave and True? Uh, I don't know. I forget his name. But Technomancy, he wrote the line tool. He's really helpful on the Emacs channel. Okay. I think he also is involved with the Ergodox keyboards. Um, what are those? It's a very ergonomic keyboard that Len has. Okay. Um, Len, you want to explain that? What's the... Um, yeah, it's just to make basically make yourself look really elite. It's like a split keyboard. Mine has <laughs> no keycaps, and you can program it to do all kind of things. So it's it's nice and ergonomic, and it has less keys than a normal keyboard, and you can basically switch layers. So uh, basically, your arrow keys, your H, J, K, L, and Vim, uh, you can switch a layer and make those actual arrow keys, and then you can pop back up to a different layer. And there's all kind of uh, hacks you can do that I haven't dived that deep into yet. That's amazing. You're so elite that you need less keys and everything. <laughs> but I, I did want to mention about Max. Uh, I think the editor kind of making waves or the configuration making waves now and what brought me on board to Emacs is Space Max, which mm. is highly controversial in Emacs world because it basically ships with like complete Vim key bindings. And I was very skeptical of that uh, because normally that means like some movement keys work and a couple macros work and that's it. But it is like a very complete Vim implementation. I was hacking around and absentmindedly because I was just forgot that I was not in Vim. Uh, I used uh, one of the plugins in Vim, a popular plugin called uh, surround.vim. And I did like change uh -huh. surrounding parentheses and it worked and that just blew my mind. Hmm. Um, so it's a weird shift because a lot of people are coming to Emacs through Space Max, but it's basically Vim. And I think I even said recently that Vim is still my favorite editor. Space Max is just a better Vim than Vim is. Hmm. So that's interesting. Um, I'm an old-time Vim user, but I'm one of the, by old-time, I mean like 2001, 2002. So I'm sure there's neckbeards who are way older than that. Um, so I'm not that elite. But I'm one of the Vim users who doesn't like Vim, like... I have it ingrained into my fingers, but I don't think it's that awesome. I mean, it's good. Um, but I prefer, like, I actually use Sublime quite often. And um, as my main editor, mostly I'll use Vim as kind of a secondary editor and on servers. But one thing Sublime ships with is, like, Vim mode, where um, you can use some of the Vim key bindings. So it kind of seems like it's a little bit similar to Space Max in the sense of it's like this merging of the two worlds. And at first I thought, that's amazing. I can use my Vim key bindings inside of Sublime. But in reality, it didn't really work out so well. It's kind of like the Uncanny Valley, where it's like so close to Vim without actually being Vim that it actually frustrated me uh, nonstop. So I wonder how Space Max avoids that problem, or if you've actually have you felt the Uncanny Valley at all? No, and I, I did feel the same thing. I, I tried to use Vim mode in, in a Sublime and Ruby uh -huh. Line, and there's just, you'll do something and it doesn't work, and then that's just the most frustrating thing. Yeah. And I've found next to nothing that doesn't work in in uh, Space Max. Awesome. Yeah, we might need to get the but Space Max developer on the show. We actually had somebody ping us, Adam, 
yeah. about having Space Max on the show, and that kind of was what got me the idea of the Editor, Editor, Wars. Editor Wars show. Yeah. But, uh, that would be a really awesome panel show, too. I think that, I mean, obviously, everybody can bring their own <laughs> rage and their yeah. own their own thoughts and, and walk away with nothing, of course, because that's how it always works. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just like a you know tear-up battle, and then everybody leaves, and nobody gets really uh, right. you know, to a new side. It's just sort of like everybody fights, and that's really how it works out. But a lot of good conversation. If like can I, avoid that, I mean, there can definitely be good that come out of that. Well, for example, you just mentioned the Vim mode in Sublime, and I'm sure there's tons of Sublime users out there that are listening to the show right now that are like, what? It has that? And right. so now they're going to go check it out and sort of do the Space Max, you know, best of both sides kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, we've, uh, we've definitely gotten a chance to, to learn a little bit more about each of you touring folks and uh, see the, the backgrounds and the influences you bring to your show. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to dive a little deeper into the portrait of your show. Jared, I'm not sure if we got the, the, the full, complete answer on what Turing and Complete means. No. So maybe we can cover that, and then love to dive into some of your goals. So let's take a break. When we come back, we'll kick off with that. Imagix is a real-time image processing proxy in CDN. And let me tell you, this is way more than image magic running on EC2. This is way better. It's everything your front-end developers have dreamt of. Output to PNG, JPEG, GIF, JPEG 2000, and several other formats. And if you're like me, you've ever argued with your boss or a teammate about serving retina images to non-retina devices, you'll appreciate their open source dependency-free JavaScript library that allows you to easily use the ImageX API to make your images responsive to any device. Now, all of this takes a platform, and the ImageX platform is built on three core values, flexibility and quality, performance, and affordability. When it comes to flexibility and quality, ImageX has over 90 URL parameters that you can mix and match to provide an unlimited amount of transformations that you need for your images. And they take quality very seriously. And because of their commitment to quality, several top 1,000 websites in the world trust them to serve their images. Now, when it comes to performance, Imagix operates out of data centers filled with top-of-the-line Mac Pros and Mac Minis, and they're set up for a completely streaming solution. This means your images never hit the disk. Images are served by the best SSD-based CDN for delivery around the world anywhere extremely fast. And while we're talking about speed, almost all the image processing happens on GPUs. This means transformations are super fast when compared to competing virtualized environments. And lastly, it's all about affordability. Everyone wants to save a buck. That's how the world works. Because ImageX processes close to a billion with a B images per day, they're able to make certain optimizations at scale and pass those savings on to you. To learn more about ImageX and what they're all about, head to imgix.com slash changelog. Once again, imgix.com slash changelog and tell them Adam from the changelog sent you. All right, we're back. We had a nice pause there. And during that pause, we had some inner discussion about who the leader of this show might be. And it, there's some controversy. I'm not sure. Justin, you say it's Len. Len, you say it's Justin. Pam saying, I- I'm not going to do that. I'll just be on the show. <laughs> uh, who's taking ownership of being the leader of Turing Complete? Definitely Len. He's the host. He, he edits the podcast. Um, 
he cares a lot about like audio quality and and uh, editing crosstalk out. He does a great job about that. Um, uh, it was Justin's uh, idea and Justin's production, so I vote Justin. <laughs> uh, Although Pam we do argue that Pam finds a lot of our guests. Javon used to pick a lot of topics. So it's a team effort then. Yeah. It is. Yeah. All right. Well, the, let's team effort the, if the you, meaning If you of the want name. opinions, you should go to Justin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> now well, we're starting to get into the good stuff. Well, let's figure out the name of the show. So the name of the show is Turing Incomplete. And we all understand what Turing is and the Turing test and things like that. Or maybe some listeners do. But if it goes back as far as to explain that. Can we talk about where the name came from, and we'll dive into some deeper questions around the podcast itself and goals and things like that. Yeah, we were just throwing names around, and we thought it was funny. Uh, I think I might have suggested it. But yeah, Turing completeness is uh, a language that can essentially uh, implement another language is Turing complete. Or more formally, uh, anything that is effectively computable can be computed by a Turing machine or anything that is Turing complete. And so being incomplete means what for your show? What should your listeners and guests, I guess, We are not universally computable, I guess. I mean, <laughs> it was just a, really means nothing. It's just a play on words. Although the, the main name is pretty awesome. Len picked that out that he found a Turing.cool. Yes, that is a cool, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> well, actually it is. Uh, that is cool. I like that. It's not as cool as ABC.xyz, but. Uh, well, we're it's not right up there. It's right up there. We're not all alphabet. <laughs> so what are, I think when our listeners and any listener of any podcast, you know, some come to this show for the technical content, some come to it because of the person that's on the show. Uh, you know, it's just really a, a mixed bash of why people listen to podcasts. But I know it's at some point in the back of everyone's minds, they're thinking like, what's the point of the show? Like, what are your goals for the show? Is it to get rich you know, what is it that drives you all to do this show for a year, once a week, accumulate 60 episodes, do a great job at <laughs> producing the show and all that good stuff? Like, what is it that drives you and what are some of your, do you have any goals? Well, I would say um, probably half of our listeners are Philadelphia-based and they just know about us because we are a Philadelphia podcast. And there's only, I think, a few technical podcasts in Philadelphia. Um but yeah, my goals are just, I just enjoy recording with the other three people and I uh, just like talking about, I, I work remotely, so I don't get a lot of uh, face-to-face interaction mm-hmm. and, and just general chatting about technology. So uh, I just really like every week just talking about whatever is on our minds. So yep, same for me. Here. I mean, I want to talk about software anyway, so why not just record it and make a podcast out of it? Well, it takes more time, more effort, more coordination. Um, just for a few reasons, it seems like I, I agree with that. Being a remote worker myself, one of the reasons I got involved in the change log was so I could talk to people about <laughs> what I do, you know. <laughs> and uh, being an independent contract contractor as well, I tend to you know work on projects by myself or in very small teams. And so I was excited to not just talk to um, people in the community, but also to get a chance to you know pick the brains of people who are smarter and way better at programming than I am. Um, so I definitely agree with that motivation. Um, yeah, and I think there's more to it. There's got to be more to it, right? Well, so uh, for me personally, when I first had the idea of I wanted to record a podcast, uh, a lot of pack- podcasts I listened to were 
more surface level uh, software engineering and, and community and uh, didn't really get into like technical details of, of things. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we've succeeded on uh, that goal of mine to, to be more, more technical podcast, uh, but that's, that's one of the reasons I wanted to make a new podcast originally. So let's dive a little deeper into the topic then. And then when, one thing you guys said earlier, which is something, Jared, we, we sort of deal with as, as a symptom of us, is we're not experts in every subject matter that we cover here at the changelog. So do you all feel the same pressure to somehow perform or be a, a subject matter expert? Or is it that is that what you lean on guests for? Yeah, I think leaning on guests for that definitely helps. <laughs> We've definitely had a, a lot of episodes where we just blabber about uh, whether it's JavaScript frameworks or languages we're trying or uh, editors. Like, I don't think... Any of us have been using Emacs for more than a few months. Maybe Jervon's been using it for more than a few months. Uh, we talk about that a lot. We talk about JavaScript frameworks and, and things that we're just trying out. Uh, we talk about Elixir uh, a lot recently. And I don't think any of us would consider ourselves experts in any of those topics. Uh, so, yeah, we don't really have any fear of just chatting about what we're trying. Do you think it's fair to say that, to, that you're all practitioners in said fields that you represent, obviously, and you're sort of coming together and just sharing notes to a degree and maybe diving a bit deeper into the unknowns or the knowns? Yeah, that's one way to put it, I suppose. Somebody else can maybe elaborate on that. Yeah, I think having guests is a, is a good way to for me to kind of get to talk to that person or give that person a reason to talk to me and for me to pick their brains about whatever we both have interest in. And then originally, I had said to Justin, we have all these interesting conversations. It would be nice to record them and go back to listen to them in case I forget or to share them. Um, And then it's just a good opportunity to catch up or get valued friends' opinions on certain things. What's the sequence of it? Is it weekly? Is it semi-weekly? Is it... Does it say it's weekly? What's uh, what's your frequency? It's semi-weekly, and we're still going to see if we can schedule a time that we record this week. So we we aim for every week. Okay. So that was, Jared, that's kind of like us. I mean, we can lament a little bit with that because we did aim to be weekly. And I would probably say that uh, we aimed to be weekly mainly because there was no one doing it full time. And as of February this year, I stepped away from my full-time job at Pure Charity, where I was a product manager, um, to finally step away to, to do the change level full-time. So I guess since then, Jerry, we've been pretty good at being consistent, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, I think the game changes when, when a show is sustainable you know, financially for somebody to put a full-time effort into it. And so I think that has really stabilized us and allowed us to, to ship an episode each and every Friday, which has been awesome. Um, it's a good point until, about the financials, too. Yeah, up until then, you know, it's it's a struggle. There's scheduling conflicts, especially with guests, it's difficult because you have guest scheduling conflicts. But I think with Terry and Incomplete, probably your guys' scheduling is difficult because you have four regulars, right? It's more people to line up every week. Yeah, we just recently decided on a time that we were just going to record every week. Um, and then we're going to ship the same day every week. So we've been doing that for a few weeks now, and I think we've missed 
probably half of them were have to be scheduled. <laughs> uh, so we're still trying that, trying to adjust to that. Well, guidelines is what it takes, though. You don't always have to like hit those marks, but it's good to at least have them so you know what the expectation is of where you're trying to go. You know, so yeah. some goals in place. So, Jared, you mentioned financials for us, and that sort of allowed me to step away. Let's talk a bit about, I guess, financial matters for you all. When it comes to goals, is part of your goal to be sponsored? Will you ever be sponsored? Do you care about sponsors? Do you care about making money at this? We actually had, I guess, debates over whether or not we should be sponsored um, when we were trying to get stickers. And sometimes we debate uh, editing, if we should pay someone to edit and if we should get sponsorship for that. I don't think our goal is to make money from it um, maybe have it sustain itself eventually. Uh, but yeah, any other thoughts on that? I, I think right now we don't have the listenership to really make that sustainable. And I don't think we, like, our show is much less edited than your guys' show. Like, talking about the time we put into it, um, basically my workflow is to take our uh, Skype call and uh, just run some filters on it and put it on S3. So our costs are very minimal. So we're not super worried about it. If we did move to like a you know a sponsorship model, we would need to put a lot more production into it. I mean, this isn't the podcast method. We love Dan Benjamin around here. We're on five by five, syndicated through five by five. We got a good relationship with them, and he shares tons of good advice. But I think at the same time, you know, and Jared maybe help me with digging deeper into this. But I feel like there's something that, not something good or bad, but something changes when it when it does make money. Like it has to. Or it needs to sustain itself. You know, there, there's some right. services to pay for, whether it's an editor or whether it's, you know, hosting services, whatever you can think of. I know S3 bills are really small when it comes to, you know, podcast weight, but um, there's something that shifts when it becomes like a paid thing. Like you got to get not so much more serious, but like an, an edge of professionalism that not so much y'all don't have, but that you are required to have. Whereas now y'all can walk to it and say, this is fun. I enjoy doing it had fun at the end of the day, or if it, you know, got to the point where you all have said that you don't really want to go, which is getting it sponsored, it might make it too serious and take the fun or joy out of it. What do you think? I think that's where like Len and I think Justin are both kind of coming from. I'm on team get money, get paid. <laughs> okay. but, nice. But like, that's generally a life motto, yeah. but I mean, I respect the rest of the podcast decision. But Joker so. said it best. If you're good at something, don't give it away for free. <laughs> Who said the that? Joker the Joker. The Joker. Yeah. And uh, okay. So okay, I would. Yeah. I like. I that prefer to least. take my quotes from like Oprah or something. <laughs> okay. You know, Oprah. maybe not. What Oprah you know, say A deranged character. <laughs> well. You know, but maybe he did not. stab. He did take the pencil and put it in the guy's eye and explain why that made sense, because he made it disappear. Well, so he's very logical, is what you're very, saying. Yeah, very, very logical. I'm with you though, Pam. So take me deeper there. So why are you on team? Make money, team get paid. What is it for you? And and can we sway everyone else on this show now to to be on that same team? No. I mean, it's that if. So I mean, it's the. The question of can you take money and not compromise your integrity? And I think that, that that is kind of a personal level. I mean, I would be 
I guess the only the only contingency for being able to take money and take and keep your integrity is the ability to walk away if the money has to stop. And so as long as you're willing to walk away if the money has to stop. And so, I mean, I, we deal with this with the JavaScript meetup. Like if we, you know, we get sponsors and if ever a sponsor said, well, you know, um, we're, I don't know, we're terrible people and we want to discriminate against this person because of something about them that they can't change or something. And we're going to pull our money and we would say, okay, great, take your money and leave. Bye. Uh, that's, that's what we would do. And that's how we would maintain our integrity. And I think that that just goes for, I would apply that to every context. So I don't see a problem with taking money so long as, and it's a negotiation. You say like when, when someone says, Hey, we want to, you know, sponsor your meetup and we want to come and do a sales pitch to your, your people. And we want to get their emails and their names and their phone numbers afterward. We say no, because that's not, that doesn't jive with integrity for us. And so I don't see a problem with taking money in the podcast. Len doesn't think we could get money on the podcast. I think that we could get money on the podcast. <laughs> I think we could, but, but I basically don't think it would be the way the, the way the discussion was solved, as I, I just I want to share this, is that I was like, all right, let's I, you know I'm sure I can go get money, and then we can you know pay for the stickers and stuff, and then Justin just put in an order for stickers. And that was how it was resolved. <laughs> and it was fine <laughs> because then we had stickers. And now we actually have a link where people can order their own sticker. So That's true. Very nice. What's the link? What, yeah, what is that link? It's on the it's on the website. So it's right on the first page. Awesome. Turing.cool. Turing.cool. Let's just Turing. keep cool. saying that domain as <laughs> many times as we can because it's so dot cool. Um, very cool. Well, I think I like that you guys have you guys have thought through this. You know, kind of where you stand. It sounds like if money or sponsorship presented itself to you, um, maybe it wouldn't be something you're like uh, antagonistic to, but not necessarily a goal. Um, I'm not opposed to it personally. Yeah, <laughs> not too many people who are like diametrically opposed to getting paid uh, for to do something they already are doing for fun. Um, but have you guys ever heard the term pod fading? Pod fading. I don't even know if this is still around. There is an Urban no. Dictionary for this. Is that what happens when we stop publishing? Yeah. So it's kind of this phenomenon <laughs> where podcasts will fade away. And uh, I saw some statistics a while back, completely unsubstantiated. I won't link them up because I don't even know if they're 100% true. But that mo- the majority of podcasts will fade out before they hit double-digit episodes. Like you're either going to fail like right away or you're usually going to stick around for a while. So we do have to take a, speaking of sponsorships, we do have to take a, a break to hear from one of our awesome sponsors. Um, but when we get back, I want to talk about pod fading with you guys and maybe give tips and tricks on how not to fade out because you've made it to 60, which means you're statistically better than a lot of other podcasts out there. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> you're going to share all your uh, secrets when we come back on the other side of the break. Right back. For those out there working solo or on a team tracking time, you thought you were wrapping up a project until the client or your boss asked for a new feature at the last minute, and here you are stuck. You're not sure how much time you're spending on every feature, how much time you're spending on bug fixes or tweaks. Well, Harvest is a time tracking tool built for understanding where your time is going. And for developers, it takes the pain out of time tracking. Just install the Harvest Chrome extension and you can start tracking time right from issues in Jira or GitHub and you won't have to go searching for your timesheet. Not only will you understand how much time you're spending on client work, you'll also be able to turn your billable hours into an invoice 
from Harvest in minutes. Harvest integrates with Stripe and PayPal to make sure you get paid fast and on time. There's built-in reporting in Harvest that lets you see how much time your projects took, so you can use that information to make better estimates in the future. For a better way to track time and invoice your clients and take the pain out of what you're doing when it comes to tracking time and invoicing, head to getharvest.com, create a 30-day free trial, and after your trial is over, here's a goodie for all of our listeners. Enter the code CHANGELOG to save 50% off your first month. Once again, getharvest.com, create a free 30-day trial, and after that trial is over, enter the code CHANGELOG for 50% off your first month. Enjoy. All right, y'all, we are back with the, our good friends from Turing Incomplete talking about their podcast. And I mentioned before the break that many podcasts fade into oblivion. In fact, Adam, some controversy during the break. Yeah. Changelog on the fringe of pod fading. What's your take? Man, we were so close. We were so close. We uh, So if you do a Google, Google search for pod fading or pod fade, you'll inevitably we find an urban dictionary definition of this. And in part of that definition, it says many podcasts deny their pod fade until it's too late. And so part of the break was me. I, I guess I don't, de- I don't deny the pod fade, I, I but I, I know I was denying it until it was too late. Like that really resonates with me because in 2012, August, 2012, uh, around mid month, um, we stopped producing shows for our own reasons. And I, that's not the, the, the name of this show, but nonetheless. And we didn't resume until, you know, who was it? What, which guest was that? Was it Justin or was it Lynn that said we, uh, we rebooted? That was oh, me. yeah. I <laughs> oh, yeah, it was Justin. I agreed with him. Was it? Okay, Justin. So Justin said the, the change law rebooted, right? And I'm like, I don't know about that. So then there's that, there in the lies the rub of me denying the fact that it was too late. Like, I, to me, we were just on a break. You know, it's kind of like boyfriend and girlfriend. It's okay. We're still together and we're going to come back. So, well, I I'm, had listened to the change log before the break in quotation marks. Before uh, it out, yeah. And then it, and then it pod faded, right? right. And then, uh, and then I heard some news about, oh, the change log is starting up again. So that, that implied to me like a, a reboot. reboot. Yeah. So I, I don't deny it as a reboot. Internally, it just doesn't feel like a reboot. It feels like, uh, just like a, it felt like a, just a change, you know, just a resumption of it, I guess. Mm -hmm. So we're definitely in the pod fade definition there, Jerry, for sure. Well, what I was saying before the break is that, you know, even the change log, when it began to fade, had been going for years. Yeah. Um, And most podcasts don't last that long. They usually, we were 84, episode 84. Yeah. Single digit episodes, less than a year. Um, And, you know, the hosts decide that it's you know not priority or they can't get it get it going or it's not as fun as they thought it would. Um, but turning completes lasted sixty episodes, and you guys haven't faded yet. Doesn't sound like you're planning on it. So what I was asking before was maybe some tips and tricks. How do you guys keep it going? Always be recording. Always be recording. That's pretty much a yeah. That's a good going. <laughs> we I had a like on, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, we had a rough patch when Len moved to Seattle. Mm, okay. So dealing with time zone change and, you know. Time zones are hard. Time zones are hard. Very hard. Amen. Why does the sun got to be sun? 
so did it fade a little bit? Did it fade at, at all? Was there? We definitely had, uh, you know, non. I mean, Len does most of our editing, so yeah, we fade a bit. <laughs> what if Len drops out? Are you guys done done dealing? I mean, like, would somebody else pick up the editing torch? I would hope if any, anybody's dropped out, that somebody else would continue to record and, and work on it. So I've I've edited a little bit too. Um, I'm sure Javon and Pam could definitely be capable of doing that. Not about timing, but technology wise, they could. Um, yeah, Justin often offers to edit and then I get very disgruntled about how his process lens very protective <laughs> and of he gets disgruntled online too so my 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 editing process is uh I write down timestamps when we're recording and then I work backwards and I just cut in the end and I cut out anything that I wanted to cut out and then I cut in the beginning and then I just run it through a couple filters and I ship it Len listens to the entire thing and uh takes out like ums and the and much uh much better final product, but I have to imagine it's also much more time intensive. But even I don't spend that much time. My editing time is probably an hour or so. Mm. So I think that's the thing that helped us, uh, you know, keep putting out shows because it's it is pretty low time commitment every week. It's an hour to record, maybe a half hour to plan, then uh, an hour to to uh, edit the show and, and put up the. Shows. And Justin uh, built a middleman site, so it's a pretty quick process to deploy. So uh, all of our uh, website is open source. It's also on GitHub at github.com slash turning incomplete. And uh, you could you can see the process. So it runs uh, Travis. So we basically just put a new show. It goes to like our secret beta site. Uh, and then if everything looks good, we can make a pull request and merge it. And then it just automatically goes live. That's an interesting process to to be powered essentially by GitHub and Travis because we haven't gone that route. We sort of do it old school, I guess. We're we're still database backed and all that good stuff. Uh, and I guess while we're on the subject of process, what exactly, if someone was trying to replicate or follow in your footsteps, what are some of the things that you've learned as part of your process that make it easier for four people in different time zones, some in the same, uh, gather w- once per week and produce a show? Like, what is the process y'all follow? I would say pick a well, pick a time and show up every week. So, like for example, uh, recording—that's probably the biggest question yeah. on some people's minds. I mean, like we have our own recording process, and some people don't oh, get right, it. Right. Some people do, you know, you know, not so much the exact software, but like, what is, you know, does one person record everybody? Somebody edits it, and then you know, some of the maybe even some of the gear you all use, Skype. What is what is it that that uh, powers your your podcast? Yeah, so a lot of the things that I do are uh, based solely on reducing the time uh, involved to do it. So we use a Skype plugin called Call Recorder to record the podcast. Okay. So Len, Len records on his, his end, and then I also record as a backup. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, and that has all of our voices in it, and we just put it into Audacity and edit there and combine it all. Um, and Call Recorder will automatically start recording whenever you start a Skype call, so there's really no fear of like are we recording yet or not it's just it just starts recording as soon as you start the call what about like naming your file do you have some sort of special convention is it part of your your system is it all detailed in your github readme oh yeah it's just uh the the episode number so we do turing dash incomplete dash one two three and then the uh the episodes are all numbered in uh middleman blog format so we just have like 55 let's say dot dot markdown 
And then there's a YAML uh, front matter on that, which has all the data about the podcast, like how how big is the, where is the MP3 located? How big is it? How long is it? Uh, what were all of our picks? So we generate all those from from that file. Uh, we also recently started using Etherpad. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a good one. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, so Etherpad is a, I guess, collaborative editing app from Mozilla, and we have the standard format for a post in it as a default, and then we just fill it in as the episode goes on and fill out the pics uh, at the end of the episode. And then yeah. I guess we just copy it over to the file, right? We just create a file from the contents of it. Yeah, so so when we're recording and we're mentioning links, we're just copying and moving the links into there, so we're almost writing the show notes as we're recording. Very interesting. So because that, is it Ethopad? Is that what it is? Etherpad. Etherpad. E-T-H-E-R-P-A-D. Okay. We use a, it's a, I forget what the actual open source product is called. It might be Etherpad. But there's a bunch of different installations you can use, and we use the one on uh, Mozilla. So etherpad.mozilla.org. Okay, I just grabbed the .org one. I'll grab the other link and put it in our show notes. Yeah, so, and it's essentially like a Google, uh, Google, Google Wave. Google Wave. Uh, Amazing. Uh, you guys should set wave. up your own Wave instance for this, don't you think? <laughs> so does everyone get a chance to, to log these links, or is it sort of, you know, you and Justin, it sounds like you and Lynn doing this? No, everybody records them. Okay. And it saves time for whoever's doing the editing um, to have everything already in the show notes and what about file size? How do you get that? Is it just a simple thing in the command line? Then you copy and paste, or is it? Is it like? Yeah. Do you run a command like a rake task, for example, and it like looks at the file and generates this front matter and middleman? Yeah, I've we I've should have my that. I've had that on my to do list for like I don't know since we started recording. That it'd be really cool if I could just like put the MP3 in the right place and run a command, and it would fill in the, the size and length yeah. and, and upload it. Um, Interesting. So, I mean, that, Jared, some of this reminds me a little bit of, of how we evolve weekly because when we talk about pod fading, there's also, there should be like newsletter fading because yeah, that's what happened there. We almost did that too. Uh, we've been down all roads. Uh, <laughs> we all ship kinds a, of fading. We ship a, a weekly email called Change Law Weekly. It's such a novel name. Um, <laughs> and for, it, it was also built on Middleman. So, we, we have kindred spirits in that regard. Um, I was using the ERB. I was doing it alone at the time. Uh, it was all Git based. Obviously, each issue was uh, basically an entire com- each commit was an entire issue because I didn't think it was enough to be autonomous or atomic and just like put you know a one liner as a commit. It just didn't make any sense. But similar in the fact that I was like handwriting ERB at least, not so much straight HTML, but pretty dang close. And it, it uh, you know I would use Ruby to you know to automate some things but it just wasn't quite the case and then uh in comes jared and saves the day and says hey we can actually use trello to act as our cms i've got this idea let me poke around with it and before you know it, we're using trello as a cms to generate our newsletter which could be very similar to how you all do your podcast or anybody could do a podcast because if you're using middleman uh jared you could probably speak to the ruby behind this but it's a rake task that that gets ran Ruby behind it hits the Trello API, uh, mm-hmm. pulls back uh, the JSON. Good, Jared. You talk about that part. No, you drilled it, man. That's basically what happens. Is it just you know 
maybe 150, 200 lines of Ruby using the Trello API that just transforms our lists and cards in Trello into you know, the appropriate uh, uh, HTML for Markdown to serve. That's and pretty neat. We, sh- we ship that off to Campaign Monitor. This Trello is basically a title, a description, so it's much like a blog post, so you can gather yep. some of that. And we use labels to uh, add a sponsor flag or a draft flag, for example, if we don't want it to go into the issue. But mm-hmm. we also had to iterate there because we had some issues there that Jared's like, what? You got sponsors and you got uh, drafts. Well, okay, we'll have to we'll have to fine-tune that. So back to the drawing board and, you know, uh, more commits later, it, it supports it. But that yeah. was a really interesting turn for us to to newsletter fade and then <laughs> and then bring that back. Because it was, it was a way six months, would you say, Jared? It seems like six months is the magic number for us to let something fade and come back. Yeah, and I think... The there was just so much friction and there was no collaboration. I mean, I couldn't even no. help. I could just send Adam links and be like, "Here's a good one." Hopefully, you put and, it in there, buddy. Right. And no team. You know, Trello very... has built-in users. You know, it has built-in collaboration tools, app messaging. We can put comments in there. Like, I can put a link in and tell Adam, "I don't have time to write the you know the blurb, but make sure you mention this." And then the comments just get dropped out. You know, when we ship the the thing. Yeah. So there's all sorts of, you know, mo- mobile access, you can email and stuff to a to a board. So tons of tools that are there to to be had. And uh, it really helped us out in that regard. Um yeah, I never thought about building the podcast and the show notes around it, but I'm yeah. sure you could definitely get that done. It was just the tools we knew. Um yeah. there seems to be some pretty nice like hosted podcast services now, like um I don't know the names of any of them, but it seems right. like it's a lot easier to get started now. I'll totally. I mean, it's. I mean, the the barrier to entry for podcasting today, as compared to when I very first started podcasting, which was two thousand seven, um, to even two thousand nine when the change law began, is night and day. Like, there's services, there's hosting. Just like, you know, with our wor- worlds as developers, like the the world is flattened quite a bit. There, there's things that were very costly five years ago that are almost free or basically free or, or free mostly. Yeah, and it's just not. Uh, it's crazy how things have progressed that way. So it's interesting to kind of get a peek behind your process. Not so much just the technical side of like uh, we use X Y Z mic, but no, like how you yeah. actually host your site and ship your shows and gather notes and make it collaborative and make it you know ultimately fun. Even though Pam is in the make make money uh, get rich <laughs> uh, camp, don't put uh, her in a box, Adam. No, no boxes for Pam. No boxes. One last question on process before we move on. Um, curious how you guys get your download stats out of your S3 bucket. Just turn on logging and write your own little parser, or is there a service you use for that? We don't. Uh, <laughs> oh. No, yeah, I, I have uh, parsed. Len actually texted me before this recording this episode and asked me to get the most recent stats, because last time I got them was maybe in April or March of this year. Okay. Um, but yeah, so we have FeedBurner stats that Len looks at. Um, iTunes, so as as most right. people know, like does not provide any analytics. Right. And uh, yeah, so we do have logging on the bucket. I haven't looked at it recently. Um, FeedBurner says what five hundred Len. Um, our downloads. I haven't looked at it in a while, but it's been like yeah. Our downloads, the downloads say, are like way more than. Yeah, downloads say like about FeedBurner. like two thousand, I think, on average now. Uh-huh. Um, which is not not a ton, but but we're happy with it. So yeah, podcast analytics is really tough. <laughs> yeah, no how do joke. You, how do you get numbers out? <laughs> well, right, uh, right now we leverage 
well, prior to being syndicated by five by five and moving there, we were using Buzzsprout, which um, is a great service. We love those guys. They're from Florida. Uh, really great software developers. Awesome service that's been stable for years. Uh, it's affordable, uh, really easy to use. And it gave stats, but they weren't always fully accurate. And then we saw a pretty big shift, um, I guess, for the negative when we went to 5 by 5 because we were seeing like 60, 70,000, 80,000 listens on shows yeah. in Buzzsprout. And we go to 5 by 5 and it's it, it kind of normalized at like 25,000 plus per show on, on a good average. And I don't know how Dan does it, but I know Dan uh, is a Rubyist at heart, and that's where he kind of lies. And he's a software developer as well as a, a voice yeah. on the radio, so he was able to build Feet Layer, which is the the backend stats app that uh, tracks all of Five by Five. And so we have access to a dashboard that lets us uh, look at every single episode and look at uh, you know a few graphs that sort of give us more insight. And I know Dan's currently working more and more on that. I won't release any secrets because I don't know any, but I know he's doing something more in that space right. that uh, is interesting. So that's a hard yeah, subject. Honestly. The hard, I mean, the hardest part about it, I think, and the reason why five by five's stats um, tend to be lower and I, probably more accurate is that um, the way that podcast clients do downloads is not like a one to one. You can't just count, you know, a request as a download because they have these range requests where they're basically splitting the file up into sections and downloading yep. it in sections, and you got to be able to stitch those all back together. Uh, in order to actually count a download. And it seems like a lot of services out there don't have that quite figured out. And Dan says that he's put time into getting that, you know, 100% accurate or as accurate as he can. Oh, nice. Um, so it goes back to what you all said too about taking money and, and being obligated. Right. Uh, five by five is a for profit venture. So Dan wants to be conservative when it comes to those numbers so that when he tells sponsors or we tell sponsors, ourselves as well as as independent you know hey this is what our listenership is it's it's conservatively accurate it's probably more than that but dan's conservative so i think that you know it's a good number to it's a safe number to easily tell publicly that you know isn't boasting or over inflating the number yeah there's a lot of request types that we get on s3 um some are range requests some are the full file some are uh head requests just asking for metadata out of the file we also notice that our website the MP3 player actually downloads. The, it looks like a, a download, even though the play button wasn't pressed. Oh, uh, so we have a hard time like actually parsing all of that. Yeah. Um, so if we were to go to an advertiser, we would probably need a more accurate number than we have now. Right. Even if you have downloads too, it's not really guaranteed that people are actually listening to the podcast. That's the problem, right? <laughs> there's this discrepancy between their their client downloading it and an actual listen. And there's this, one nice thing that iTunes or I guess the podcasts app now does or at least it used to, I don't use it personally, but it will stop downloading new episodes Like if you haven't listened to the last three or something. So it actually won't just continue to perpetuate that subscription. Um, yeah, the iOS so, app does that. Yeah, which is better than the alternative of like once they subscribe, it's just continually going to download all your episodes. But, but like you said, you cannot actually um, derive a listen from a download, which is unfortunate. So even if you get those download numbers really well, you're still ballparking it. You know, though, uh, on the importance of it, though, unless it's it has to be spot on accurate, right? It's more or less just information to make better choices. That's all metrics are in the first place, right? Like it's data driven. It's not like you're going to live or die by you know two or three listens or a hundred or a thousand listens. It's just like it's better informing you 
of the you know the quality of each show and you can go back and look at those shows and say well we had this topic or you know in your case here this is a these are the five shows you won it and this is the five shows we had guests and those guest shows perform better maybe we should lead more towards guest based shows right and you know less wing it shows mm-hmm. you know and so it's just better information for you as a as hosts and organizers of this podcast just like conferences have an obligation to do a good job you you know, to a degree, you have a, uh, an obligation to do a good job as a podcaster, and and that helps inform you and everyone else involved. Yeah, we knew that our analytics were way off when we had Corey Haynes on, and uh, the week before Corey Haynes was on, we had a large spike, and then Corey Haynes was like a dip. <laughs> <laughs> he, he had retweeted that he was on the podcast. So I don't it's know. Like something's wrong there. Yeah, something's definitely wrong. There. We still never figured that mystery out, but That's... I'm sure the spike was Corey's episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna give a. Uh, a quick shout out to a service that I found, which has helped me a little bit get just analytics out of S3, um, which is called CloudStat, was spelled with a Q, Q-L-O-U-D, stat. Um, it is a paid service, and this is not a sponsored mention or anything, but uh, I was able to, to turn on logs, point this at my S3 account, and even on their free tier, they allowed for some a little bit easier browsing of you know, the history of downloads and stuff and sorting and filtering so you don't have to resort to programming. Just throwing that out there. It might help you guys um, you know, get your stats without having to ask. You have to ask yeah, Justin my- or Len has to ask Justin <laughs> or Justin has to ask Len or one of those two. Well, yeah, our, my, first, my- our, our first like few months, we were really obsessed with our listeners when we had like 60 or 70. And now, right. I mean, it's probably been months since we looked. So without, without sponsors, without anyone wanting to know those numbers, we basically stopped looking and yeah. are, have been comfortable with where we're at. I see people at conferences all the time and they come up to me and say, you know, I listen to the podcast and I'm always blown away by that. So yeah, it's a, it's some significant number. <laughs> well, we've gotten to hear from a few of you this last 25 minutes or so. Uh, when we come back from this break, because we do have one more sponsor. We love our sponsors, by the way. And if you want to support us, the best way to support us is by supporting our sponsors. So let's take this break real quick. We're going to come back for our closing questions and a couple that we have up our sleeve. So we'll break now. We'll be right back. Century is logging the way it should be. A brand new sponsor here at the Change Log. We met these guys at GopherCon. Love what they're doing. They're dog fooding their own product and they're doing some awesome stuff. Well, Century is a real time air logging platform that gives you the insight you need into the errors that affect your customers. They surface your errors, helps you gauge severity and frequency, and then gives you the information you need to get them fixed. It works on nearly every platform, including JavaScript. Ruby, iOS, Go, Python, and many more. And the best part is Sentry is open source. You can install and host it yourself, or you can make your life easier and start a hosted plan at GetSentry.com. Once again, that's GetSentry.com. All right, we are back. Uh, this is the this is the closing of the show, pretty much. We got the last 15 or so minutes here. A lot of great questions. Some of our you know, fan favorite questions that we ask here on the change log, but we also got a couple other ones. And in your show, Turing and Complete, you have what's known as picks. And I thought we'd reverse that here on the show today. And instead, instead of doing picks, what's your favorite episodes of your own show? And so Pam, let's start with you and figure out what your favorite show is that you all did. Okay, so I'm going to pick one, but I reserve the right to mention other ones at the end if people don't pick my other favorites. <laughs> okay. 
So I'm going to pick number 37 with propositions as types with Brian McKenna. And so that is where, so I've met Brian McKenna a few times at conferences. Uh, and he's, he's also Australian, which always surprises me when I talk to him because I forget. And then he sounds Australian. Um, but so what we did is he was talking about the proposition as types paper, which is, I'm now I forgot the, the author, but, uh, it's a really cool paper, uh, Philip Wadler. And so it's, it's a, a paper that covers this interesting idea and, uh, basically, we brought I brought Brian McKenna on the show to explain it to us. Uh, so it's it's my favorite episode. I thought it was really fun to read a, a paper. I know the other podcast members might disagree with me, but uh, I really like that episode. So number thirty seven, and you can get it to any episode is Turing cool slash the episode number. And we'll link that up in the show notes too, just so everyone's listening to that and. Y'all know when you listen to the show, you got show notes to go with it and links as well. But Javon, what do you think? Are you with Pam on that one or you got a different one? I have a different one. I think I'll go with episode 28 uh, with Kelsey Gilmore. I think I know. Oh, that was going to be mine. Oh my gosh, that was totally, that was one of the ones I was torn about. <laughs> Umlauts, so good. Nice. Umlauts really metal. metal. So universally, I guess. Uh, we that all one was really funny. It's really good. And, uh, I don't know what we talked about. But mentioned dog, dog farts. <laughs> yes. it's, a, it's a winner alright uh, Justin what do you think you got your own or are you, you, you I was going to with... pick Kelsey Gilmore and I can I gotta find something else um, I had a really good time I'm going to pick a few and possibly screw the line over um, I had a real good time talking to uh, Mudit Ameta on episode 57 and also uh, recently we talked to uh, Raquel Velez from uh, the Reactive Podcast your latest show right 62 no 61. And that was uh, that was really cool, too. Um, but I would suggest if you want to get a like a typical podcast for us, pick one, any of them without a guest would be my recommendation. All right. I guess uh, bring it home. Len, what do you think? Yeah. So I think my favorite topic in general to get out of people is kind of their origin stories, what makes them the type of developer they are. They are. And for us, uh, that was episode three. Yeah, uh, which really is not a good. St- yeah, it's it's really bad. We were really bad at this. <laughs> is it good or bad? I like more. Uh, I think the stories are good, but we were yeah. obviously new to podcasting and uh, could have used a little more editing. So, uh, what episode number was that? I might uh, number three. Number three. Okay. Origin, Origin stories. stories. Okay. I like that. And then I'd probably say the Corey Haynes episode, especially since I was the only one on video watching him like run around his apartment the whole episode. <laughs> uh, and he's also talking about my favorite topic, uh, which is also the four rules of simple design. Very cool. Is that episode three, two? Is that a different one? I don't see him in a list of uh, that's episode 22, 22. Okay. Let me log that one then. So, okay. 22 Corey Haynes. Okay, cool. Simple design. Nice. All right. Well, one of my back pocket ones was uh, is another one without a guest is the number thirty four, the twenty fourteen retrospective. Because I, I like I like end of year retros. Mm. I was we're kind of in a little bit of a synergy there because my favorite was fifty five. The it's not a retrospective; it's a recap. It's the GopherCon recap in a, in a way. It wasn't the only thing y'all mentioned on that show, but it was it was something that. I didn't. Were, were any of you at that conference? 
I was, yeah. Okay, so we were there too, and we didn't meet, and that's a bummer. Mm-hmm. That's I a, was, uh, yeah, very antisocial. Did you see us at least? I did see you over on the side recording. Okay, we're hard to miss. <laughs> and you didn't come say hi. Now I'm really bummed. I was in my laptop the entire oh, man. week. Actually, all of HashiCorp was uh, that's in, true. in Denver. Yeah. Well, we did yeah. talk to Mitchell. We got him on camera. As a matter of fact, when we oh, cool. we're so close to getting, we're waiting for the uh, GopherCon peeps, Eric and Brian, to approve everything we produce for him. But we got several interviews, and one of those interviews is with Mitchell um, that might be released along with it. I don't know if they'll approve it or not, but uh, great info from Mitchell. Jared, did you enjoy yeah. chatting with Mitchell? Yeah, absolutely. And we've had Mitchell on the podcast a couple of times yeah. in the past. So he's a we're a big fan of him and HashiCorp and all that all that good stuff you guys are doing we're, over there. We were working there the entire week, even though the conference was only two days. So it felt more just like a work meetup than a typical conference for me. You had a big uh um I guess attendance there. It was like ten or so people, fifteen people. Yeah, we were uh I think fourteen people at the time. Fifteen maybe. So everybody was there. Yes. Because the company was fully invested in Go. Yes. There you go. Uh, I believe one was having a child and another one was busy. <laughs> so I lost track. Did we all answer the picks question? Except for you. Oh, me? Yeah, you got to have a favorite show. Yeah, okay. Very good. So my favorite show is like 75% accurate. No, it's Evil Leader, number 59, because well, we got a Nebraska JS shout out in there. Nice. Y'all know I'm one of the organizers of that conference, so that's how Pam and I met um, back in August. And an evil leader, I think it was right before she left for it. So it was kind of like a fly on the wall as she prepared to come to our conference, mm-hmm. which is kind of strange. But I enjoyed that one. I love the laid-back, kind of like relaxed, just chilling with friends atmosphere of your guys' show. So And Emacs that's preparing you for our, our Editor War show. <laughs> I like him when anybody talks about editors. So, right. um, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Let's move on to our next awesome question. And Pam, you may have answered this one at the conference if we got you on Beyond Code because this is one of our Beyond Co- Code questions. And so that is, who is your programming hero and why? And we will start with Pam. I might have said Brian McKenna <laughs> and Michael Picara. <laughs> Um, they're also really good friends, <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, they're kind of my functional programming mentors. And so I don't, I think I also, yeah, I did. I responded to this then, That's but I right. don't I'm really like, you don't like yeah, cause heroes. I don't really like heroes because everyone can be a superhero and we just all need to share knowledge and be nice to each other. So. Amen. Yeah. All right. Javon, how about you? Uh, I'm going to say Aaron Patterson, also known as Tenderlove, okay. uh, because he's just really funny and doesn't take uh, life seriously. Or maybe he does. He's just really funny. He has, He's good with jokes, and he just seems like a really smart person. And he's punny. Yes, very punny. Very punny. <laughs> um, and I met him in person, and he's, he's also like that in person. So good guy all around. We uh, we saw him at Keeper Weird last fall, and they actually had a pun off as one of the I events heard, of the night, about this. which was they had brought in some professional punners or pun makers. I don't know people who had like won national competitions for puns. Puninators, puninators, and uh, you get paid for that? 
No, I don't know if they're getting. Were they getting paid? I did say professional, didn't I? I think they're like <laughs> national <laughs> champions, but I still don't think they're professional. <laughs> as professional as you can get. Yeah, like the winners of competitions and punting. But I, I'm pretty sure they may have won a prize, but I'm not sure that they're, you know, getting paid full time to write puns. Although they probably wish they were. Uh, anyways, point being, Aaron was a part of that, and uh, it was it was pretty awesome. Let's move on now. I think Justin's next. Justin, who's your programming hero and why? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess also like Aaron Patterson and uh, Corey Haynes and the late Jim Wyrick. Like I really like people in the commu- Ruby community that were uh, not only you know, I guess leaders of uh, you know open source and the technology side, but also kind of emanate uh, you know positivity. Uh, also, Jose Valim. Um, mm. and I guess I really like the stuff that Kyle Kingsbury is doing with uh, distributed systems. Can you go into detail on that? I'm not familiar with him or what he's up to. Oh, uh, yeah, he's uh, a Afir A P H Y R on Twitter. Mm. Okay, um, definitely check out his Twitter feed. And uh, yeah, he does a lot of things that are related to. Um, he he has this series of blog posts called Call Me Maybe, where uh, he uses a piece of software he wrote called Jepson to. Uh, break distributed systems where uh, you write a value to one node and then uh, cause a network, you know, partition. Partition. Yeah. And then um, rejoin the network together and then try to read from a different node. So in systems uh, such as like HashiCorp's console, where you write a value into one node, you expect to be able to read from all other nodes. It's a really hard problem to solve. Uh, So he has a lot of really great detailed posts about how different systems behave under network partitions and uh, also some great conference talks. Awesome. Definitely have to check him out. Len, on to you. Uh, who is your programming hero and why? Yeah, I was going to pick Uncle Bob Martin uh, kind of for the opposite reason of Justin. Uh, he can definitely be angry and crotchety about professionals being not professional uh, and I think we need more of that in our industry because we are still often really bad at software and I love when Uncle Bob goes on riffs about being more professional uh, Uncle Bob is also a podcaster too right or vlogger something or he does have a video series yeah okay I know another series yeah he also appears on many podcasts there you go as, as a guest. Definitely some great answers to the hero question, Jared. I, I like that. Some of those synergize with what we get back from from Beyond Code and also past shows, too. So there's definitely some synergy amongst software developers that come on the show. Uh, another fan favorite show or question we ask on the show is, what is on your open source radar? It could be uh, a project. It could be uh, a paradigm. It could be a topic. Just something that's out there in the software development open source world that that uh, if you had a weekend and you can hack on it or hack with it, what would it be and and why? So we'll start with Pam again. We'll go back down the same list. So my favorite open source thing that I'm watching, is that the question? Yes. So I'm RxJS next. So RxJS is a reactive programming library that is, I think, the best reactive programming library for JavaScript, but it is really hairy in its current form. RxJS Next is going to be a lot lighter uh, and hopefully more performant and lots of other fantastic things. 
And so that's the one I'm checking out. Very cool. Is this something that you've played with so far or you just haven't even touched it yet? And you're just like, I can't wait till I can. Oh, no. I mean, I actually, I'm contributing a little to it. Okay. Very cool. All right. Next, I think we have Javon. Javon, so just to ask the question again, what's on your open source radar? What's If you had a free weekend and you can hack on it, what would it be? Open source radar. So I, I think I'm, I'm in two spaces right now. Uh, Programming-wise, I would say closure. Just toying with whatever libraries that I come across. I've been trying to get back into the kind of opsy operational world. So I've been playing with Docker again and just seeing what's new with it. So Docker. Or, yeah, Docker and CoreOS are things I want to play Anything in with. particular with Docker or CoreOS? I know there's lots of nuances and facets. So what's, what's got you um, excited? So I have not used CoreOS, but recently I spun up uh, something on DigitalOcean, and then CoreOS was one of the options to pick from. Uh, so just figuring out the use cases for that or my way around it. And Docker is just catching up. So I used to be really into Docker when it came out, and um, some things have changed or ways of doing things, so I'm just catching up on that now. Um, so yeah. So back in episode 138 of this very show, changelaw.com slash 138, we talked to Alex. We talked, this is kind of early, so this was January of this year. And uh, a lot is not so much a lot has changed. I mean, at least the way the way they spell rocket has changed, and other things, and the new alliance with Docker and all that with uh, the open container spec and runtime. So we, we did have a show there. So if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen just uh, right, to hear I'll a bit check about it out. Alex. He's he's always fun to have on the show. We've actually had a couple other smaller chats with him just about uh, different announcements since then because we love kind of keeping our ear to the ground of that space. A lot of changing happens, so it feels good to kind of keep in touch with it all right uh justin what about you uh programming or not programming hero uh, we did that one already my bad <laughs> almost Favorite almost dinosaur. Uh, yeah open source radar uh <laughs> if you had a free weekend what's what's got you excited uh if i had a free weekend or a lot of free weekends uh, which i have no free weekends because i'm a parent um i would love to play with uh robotics a little more uh we recently had uh raquel velez who was part of the NodeBots project, I believe. Yeah. Um, where well, in her past life she was a roboticist, and now oh, she's yeah, also, in. So now that. she works for NPM, which you know, then NodeBots are a natural crossover. Right. Yeah, definitely listen to that episode uh, where she, we talked about like autonomous, uh, you know, robots and all kinds of like really cool stuff and like AI. Um, so that stuff's really interesting to me. I don't. I don't know much about it, um, and I've not programmed many things other than like blinking a light on a Raspberry Pi uh, for like hardware hacking. So I've had this uh, idea I've been obsessing over for the past week or so where I want to build a autonomous lawnmower because... Uh, Who wants the, to cut their grass? Exactly. And the commercial options uh, are all have like really terrible reviews and they're really expensive. And uh, I figure like cost-wise it probably wouldn't be, wouldn't be too expensive and uh, it seems like a really fun problem to to code like how do you how do you know when to turn around how do you know when to go back to charging how do you wow not drive into the street and actually stay on my lawn um, i've always wanted that yeah it just sounds so dangerous you live in an apartment <laughs> no, well i used to have a lawn before <laughs> at one point in time i did have a lawn 
So, Justin, you were at uh, GopherCon, right? Yes. And did you do the hack day portion or did you bail? I did not. I flew home Friday, so I missed that. Um, but I but I was considering most likely writing whatever I write for a lawnmower in, in Go. Um, seems like a nice language for that. Um, well, other things I'd like fit. to Yeah, yeah. Kind of uh, more friendlier embedded systems language. Okay. Uh, the other thing I'd like to do if I had free time is rewrite all my Rails projects in Elixir and Phoenix. Ooh. Um, but I will never have time to do that. Um, definitely starting new projects in, in those languages and in, in Elixir and with Phoenix. Um, but probably not worth rewriting everything I already have. So is it safe to say when you start a new project that you would have done in rails, it's going to be an Elixir? Uh, from now on, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I have a suggestion for you, Justin. Yeah. So you should find a high school or a middle school that does... U.S. first robotics, and you can kill two birds with one stone by helping younger kids and robotics. Ooh, that's not a bad. Same idea. with his lawnmower, his robotic lawnmower. He probably will kill two birds. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, he will. Good, good one, Javon. It's always really intimidating for me to like approach a school and uh, like try to set up some kind of teaching. Like, so I've been mildly involved with. Um, uh, organization in Philadelphia called Tech Girls with the Z, um, who tries to do teaching for I think middle school age um, girls and trying to get them excited about programming. Uh, I definitely want to get involved, but it's like hard to uh, you know I don't have any kids of that age in school yet, so it's hard to like approach a school locally and try to. So it's like a it's usually like an after school club. And there's already teachers and programs and money and a curriculum, and you just have to provide your expertise or show up. Yeah, they really just need help drilling to, holes. Exactly. Just show up. All right, Len, you're last on the list here. So if you had a free weekend and you can hack on something in the open source community, what would it be on? Uh, so for me, I think I mentioned most of these before, but it's I currently have three E's, uh, learning Ember, Elixir, and Emacs all at the same time. Uh, I'd never have a free weekend, uh, but I found that when I want to hack on all these things, I'm excited on. Um, I've been thrashing a lot because I never know, like, am I writing really stupid Elixir? Probably, and I just thrash on it. So actually, uh, last night I signed up for livecoding.tv and started streaming, uh, which is Oddly, uh, a lot of pressure, even though there's like eight people watching you, uh, but I had eight people watching me and I had so much pressure and I had no idea what I was doing. And uh, It was good for me because it stopped like me from bike shedding and I just tried to make progress and wrote real crappy uh, Elixir code. Well, that's, uh, that's really all we had on our docket for, for the show. Is there anything that, uh, that we might have missed that it was on any of your plates? You're like, we had to talk about this and we just missed it? I would say one thing that we missed about the pot fading is we all kind of push each other. So if if some of us don't want to record that week, one person's always like, we should record. Um, so if you have a teammate podcasting, oh yeah, encourage, encourage each other. Okay, yeah. peer pressure. Yeah, yeah. I always good peer pressure. I, I'll announce this. I always feel like I have to like. Um, because once we're done with the show, it's pretty much in my court, right, Jared? Like, if it doesn't go out, it's because I didn't do it. Right. And it's only recently because Aaron took a full-time position with Sean West, uh, po- new podcasting network, SeanWest.com. 
doing great work over there. We miss him. Did a great job helping us with this show. But the the show's now back in my court to sort of deal with. I like doing it. It's a lot of fun. And if we don't deliver it, I, you know, I feel like I'm letting Jared down. You know, I can't let Jared down. Mm. I'll throw sad face emojis at you. Sad face, man. Yeah. Super sad faces. Well, pod f- fading is a is a real thing. I will admit it now. Um, that it's it's true. It does. Oh, happen. we've made progress. We've made progress in this show during this show. Yeah, I mean, it, we it has higher to admitting it. Now yeah. the next step is I don't know what the next step is recovery. Uh, consistency is the next step, which we mm. are uh, achieving. We've been consistent this entire year. We talked to you guys about being sponsored, and we are sponsored. So it's not boasting. It's just saying like uh, to to. To go with Pam here, I'm in the, you know, make money camp. I think if you're doing something, you should find a way to make money f- from it. But at the same time, don't feel like you have to. So it, there is a fine line there and do what is most comfortable for you. For us, we knew we wanted to take things to the next level and do different things. We have uh, a lot more fun things that Changelog is doing. So we're doing Changelog films. So we're working with conferences. We're working with different partners and brands we're working with on the film's perspective, like doing marketing videos and like, we're going into engineering teams and learning more about them and their process and their community and the, the stack they're working with. A lot of fun stuff. So it's getting us a chance to dive even further and even deeper with the people already already loving on in this community. And we're here to serve the open source community. So we had to be sustainable. And that is the name of the game when it comes to contributing is how can you do it in a sustainable way? And for us, we had to go the route of sponsorships. So we don't think of it just like somebody giving us money. We think of it like partners. Every Every sponsor we have that you've uh, seen listed, so Codeship, Imagix, Harvest, and all the other sponsors you've heard on this show before are all partners of ours. They they want to see the Changelog do well and do what we do uh, every single day. Changelog Weekly, Changelog Nightly, all that fun stuff. Um, that's essentially my close of the show, but uh, I do want to tip the hat to our next guest for next week, Saran, the host of Code Newbie. She's also the manager of a new tech training program at Microsoft called Tech Jobs Academy. That is next week. So if you love Saran and you want to hear more about what she's doing at Code Newbie and at Microsoft and in, uh, in leading education for those out there in tech, listen to that show, subscribe to Change Law Weekly, Change Law Nightly, and of course, go to Turing.cool and subscribe. Uh, and with that, everybody, let's let's say goodbye. Goodbye, guys. Thanks so much for coming. Bye. Yeah, bye. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Bye.